0: Hello and welcome to the Emmy Awards. I'm your host, Emmy Cardinale, and this is my podcast where I talk about what I've been watching or rewatching once a week. This is the first episode of mine that you stumble upon and you enjoy it. Please feel free to follow me wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get notified when a new episode goes live. If you've been around for a little bit and you haven't rated and reviewed please feel free to do that it supposedly helps i don't really know i just hear other podcasters say it so try and fake it till you make it <laughs> in this episode i will be talking about the bachelor vanderpump rules and the traders i will say i'm i'm kind of glad the traders is coming to an end because as much as i've enjoyed having this structure I do want a little bit of change of pace and I have been watching other shows, but because I made a commitment, mostly to myself I guess, to recap these three seasons in their entirety, I haven't really felt like I've had that much time to talk about other shows that I've I've been watching. I am going to briefly, in this introduction, timestamps will be in the description, so if you just want to skip ahead, feel free to do so. But I am going to talk about briefly some other shows I've been watching and thoughts I have about them. And maybe I'll dive more into them as I go. But anyways, if if you enjoy it, thank you for tuning in and feel free to hop around. So shows I've been watching that I haven't been recapping. I have been watching Desperate Housewives. I actually started watching it months ago i think last summer but it was when the strike was happening and i made a decision to not talk about scripted tv so i wasn't talking about it and then i went months without watching it and i randomly was like i really want to watch something i have not seen but that's like fictional and not that heavy because i watch a lot of shows that are just like serious like i don't know i wanted I, i was like let me just pick up where i left off for the desperate housewives and it's so good i got to season like three and then I stopped for a few months, and now I'm on season six within like, I think I started watching it like a couple weeks ago, like not even that long. I've like gone through three seasons. It's so good. I love it as a Latina. I love things that I don't know its origin. I don't know enough about like the creators of Desperate Housewives, but it feels so much like a telenovela to me that I'm like, love, like I love it. Even like the serious things, there are moments and serious episodes and like serious things. They talk about. There's so much like levity to it, and there's always humor, and a serious episode is always like sandwiched in between like really ridiculous plot lines as well. So even when there's like a really crazy sad storyline, like there was, don't remember what season this one was. It was a couple of seasons ago, so maybe like three or four. Maybe it definitely wasn't five. Maybe three or four. There is a storyline where there's like a hostage situation at like the grocery store and a woman has a gun. And like that episode really like it hit me hard. It was so serious. It was so sad. It was a really emotional episode. And then the next episode went back to being it's like silly, goofy format. Of which like I, it's just, it's so good. I really like it. Obviously a lot of it probably hasn't aged super well because it's like from 2000 and Ten, but maybe i don't know i think i think yeah like the 2010s so it's like you know it's it's a relic of its time but it's really funny i like the characters and it's just i don't take it very seriously obviously there are serious moments and in those moments i do like Feel the emotions and I have sympathy for the people. It's also just like I'm sure I would feel really I would feel more stressed out Watching it if it hadn't like already aired and for the most part I've I've avoided spoilers, but there are some moments where I'm like is this person gonna die? like there have been a few moments where I have looked at spoilers and I just like that comfort of This happened many, many years ago. So I can find out what happened and how like stories progress. Like God forbid if somebody dies or whatever, because people do die on the show a lot. Like it's it's not like an uncommon thing for people to die. And like, for example, I, the reason I started watching it is because I kept getting clips on TikTok. People just post endless clips of TV shows and movies on TikTok. And that really, that really hooks me. Because I was like this, this Desperate Housewives show. Like I want to know. Like I saw. I kept seeing clips from like when Gabby had like a surrogate, but then Carlos slept with the surrogate. It was a disaster. I will have to say though, people on TikTok and I don't, and I don't know because that's really the only I've seen a few people tweet about Desperate Housewives. But I really like most of the you know fan commentary I receive is on TikTok because I don't know anybody personally who's watched the show. I also really haven't posted about it or talked about it. So like the only gauge I have of how people feel about the characters and the storylines is on TikTok. And even then, now that I've like started watching it, I try not to skip ahead like I, I I try not to engage with it too much because I'm like I don't want to be spoiled. I don't mind spoilers when I seek them out. I don't like being surprised with a spoiler. Because sometimes I'm trying to not spoil myself. It's like The Bachelor. There was a moment in time where I used to I used to look up spoilers for The Bachelor, and then I started watching Game of Roses, and I really enjoyed their approach of breaking it down like it was a game, and I was like, well, I don't want to know who wins, or, like, I don't want to know people's ranking or standing in the game because I felt like it would color the way i i judged their playing if you will like how their performance in the show i don't like that anymore when i watch the bachelor i will say though hannah brown season it's actually kind of funny because hannah brown season i went into it like i'm not gonna look up spoilers and then the jed wyatt girlfriend news broke and i was like fuck it i don't care i need to know like i need to go into it prepared I really, so I did look up spoilers then, but for the most part, and that was before Game of Roses. or Game of Roses started like halfway through Hannah Brown's season, I believe, and I didn't watch, I didn't listen to them right away. Like, I I wasn't listening to them in their first season. But anyways, I I lost my train of thought. Oh, so I, I don't like finding out spoilers, but all of that to say that... People really hate Susan and I've always liked Susan. Susan from the beginning was one of my favorites and people loved Brie and I thought Brie was so annoying. And Brie has grown on me. Like Brie is a good character. Like for me, I guess there is always a separation of like are they a good character or like do I just like them? Because I think there are some really phenomenal complex characters that add so much to shows but like as people if i like i wouldn't want to be friends with them i, I find them repugnant as as people if they were real people in my life just based on of, like their beliefs and and stuff like that i will say brie has grown on me i think i really didn't like brie because andrew came out if you don't know anything about desperate housewives i'm i'm i am going to spoil so i'm not Please don't listen to this if you if you know nothing about the show or if you care about being spoiled or any of that, okay? So there there's a character named Bree and she has a son and he comes out as gay and she's like super not okay with it because she's like a Republican gun owner. Like she's like that woman to a T, you know? So I, I really didn't like her because one thing about me, I will always stand with the gays. I mean, not always, gay people can do things wrong, but like just a teenager and his homophobic mom, I'm gonna side with the teenager. So I just, I, I really didn't love Bree, but she's kind of come around, she's come around a lot. On, I'm on season six now and by like season five, because season five starts with like a time jump and Andrew, like they've already mended fences at this point. I think they they mended fences in season three or four. Like it, it was short lived actually in, in retrospect, but it was like early on that she was like, like Bree's changed and grown a lot. And I like Bree a lot more in the later seasons so far. There are eight seasons I believe and I'm on season six. Like I just started season six. I'm on like like three episodes in. And I like it. I, I like her a lot better now. Susan, Susan. I get why people don't like her. I don't know, I always found Susan endearing. Julie is my favorite of the kids. And I really liked, I don't know, Susan was always endearing to me, but people hate Susan. And I'm like, I, I'm six seasons in, I don't get what, like, I guess she's kind of annoying. But like, what does Susan do? I don't know, like Susan is kind of an annoying character, but I don't get why people hate her so much. When the other characters do like really bad things, I'm like, what is the worst thing morally that Susan's done? But I guess people have different. Like when you're watching one of those shows, show like this where like people die and 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 cra- like crazy things happen, you're probably not w- watching it being like they're not a good person. But that's how I went into it, being like, I don't like Bree. She's a Republican, crazy, conservative, homophobe. And like, I don't know. Susan always just seemed like, uh, I found Susan endearing and I still like Susan and I still like Susan and my, like I, I genuinely do. Gabby is my favorite um, housewife, I think. I don't know because the thing is, see, it's like Gabby, like, I don't know. All of the, the mistakes Susan makes or like the things she does wrong, maybe there's something big I'm not forgetting, but I'm like, I just feel like Brie. Lynette, honestly, she kind of had an emotional affair with like, guy who worked at her restaurant but that was really it and nothing happened and she even was like i would never do anything she just liked feeling desired by somebody who wasn't her husband which is like that's a conversation for another time obviously it was was a problem with them but i don't know like gabby when we're introduced to her she's having an affair with her teenage gardener brie is like a homophobic mother lynette really doesn't do much in season one And then Susan is just kind of annoying and people, I was like, why does everybody hate Susan? All the other women seem to be like shitty people. Gabby does grow on me. I I really, I I will never, I, I obviously, I do think that her having an affair with her teenage gardener was really fucked up. Now, if Anne's about that that's like really fucked I will say though the thing I like about Gabby as a character is that she grows you know like she recognizes it like she 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 grows she changes she like divorces Carlos she marries like the mayor then she gets back with Carlos they have kids like she just she, she's grown a lot in the time so far. Like, she's a completely different person than she was in season one. And I love that from a character. Like, even if I don't love all the the way she carries herself or the things she does, I really like her as a character. I think she's grown and changed all, a lot. And I feel the same about Bree. Susan has honestly been pretty much, like, I don't know. I guess Susan is not that interesting of a character. I just, when I started watching the show, I was like, they all seem like, they're doing messed up things. Why is all the hate on Susan? And nobody's like, Bree's a homophobe. I guess Brie does, like, if you've seen the whole show, maybe you have a different perspective on them. And I haven't finished, so I'll have a different perspective when I'm done with the show. But I wanted to talk about that because, like, I've been watching it for a little while now and I haven't talked about it because I've been so focused on the reality TV shows I decided to cover. But that's been on my mind. There are some shows I want to watch and some shows I want to cover. I think when The Traders is done, I am going to start up my Percy Jackson rewatch to prep for a deep dive episode for that and maybe one week I can record two episodes or something. I don't know. I haven't figured it out. I'll have to see how the rest of these seasons play out. I I don't know but I do want to at least start putting in the work for that but besides that I don't really that desperate housewives is really the main show that I've been watching that's been on my mind. I've obviously been watching love is blind. But I, I, I don't feel like I have anything that intelligent to say about the season. I, I wish this wasn't the case because I think Love is Blind is such a fascinating concept and like there's, there's always such good content, interpersonal dynamics to, to discuss, but I just feel like every season out, it feels like something, some news breaks about like the contestants or the production that just make the show less enjoyable to watch. Like I will say, as annoying as it is as a viewer sometimes, the people on The Bachelor like never talk that much about the edit or like news. I I mean, I guess news has broken if, if people go on with girlfriends and stuff, but it feels like every season that happens. I also wonder if there's something about like the tighter turnaround on The Bachelor because it's like two years have gone by. So sometimes people like timelines are more confusing. I don't really know, I just feel like, I mean, don't get me wrong, news breaks about Bachelor contestants too. It just feels like every season, it, it feels like the news that breaks about the Love is Blind people is always like related to them being disingenuous in regards to how they're approaching the the process in the show which then makes me as a viewer not enjoy it as much when it's like oh this person had a girlfriend the entire time and well, i can not even enjoy them on the show because i'm like all of this is fake you know what i mean it's just like so uncomfortable when i genuinely like i liked trevor in in the pod i liked him i was like i feel like he and chelsea would were, would be better jimmy only wants to date her because she looks like megan fox like I had all those feelings, but then news broke that Trevor had a girlfriend going into the show and his girlfriend like knew and they were totally cool with it. Like she was totally cool with it. It was like a plan, which is fucked on that girlfriend's part. Like, I'm sorry now she's they, they've broken up. So now she's coming forward, but it's like if they had stayed together, she would have never said anything. Like, I don't know. I can't even when he comes back be happy because I'm like, he's annoying. I don't like him. It also, it's hard to watch Love is Blind knowing People have had trouble with like production in the past. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like The Bachelor has had, has plenty of production issues. I don't know. Anyways, don't get me wrong. Love is blind is great TV. Will I keep watching every single season? Absolutely. And I am, as much as I love a train wreck, I'm also a romantic at heart. So I do hope for love and, and for people to last. I also, like, I don't know. I try to go into these shows very logically. I started watching The Bachelor when I was in high school and because I was in high school, I was very, I mean, I didn't know much about relationships. I was in high school and I had a very idealistic, like romanticized view of relationships. So I would get attached to like couples because I'd be like, they're falling in love and I didn't fully grasp like parasocial relationships and and that kind of dynamic like that wasn't something that i had in my brain either so i was just like i i would get invested in couples and then they'd break up and i would genuinely feel sad i was like a 15 year old who got attached to this like relationship that had nothing to do with me and now i go into it very logically and i'm like and honestly i feel this way about most people's relationships that have nothing to do with me whether it be Taylor Swift's relationships or people on The Bachelor or Love is Blind or whatever. I love love. I'm always rooting for people's happiness if people are happy together and it works out. That's great. I'm never rooting for the downfall of a relationship, but I also never going to it being like, this couple is going to last forever and if they don't, it's going to crush me emotionally because the truth is, no matter what emotional connection I feel in in a relationship that I see on TV and... No for, no for whatever reason like Korean America on Big Brother I really like related to to each of them in different ways I liked their humor I liked their their perspective on the game when they were playing Big Brother like I, I was rooting for them and I love love so it was nice to see people fall in love but I also... And I'm not saying that I don't think they're going to laugh. I think they're a very strong couple. I wish them the best, genuinely. I love love and it would make me so happy if they grew old together. I think that would be beautiful. But I also just at, at a point in my life where it's not going to make me that sad if they break up because it has nothing to do with me. Like, I'll be a little sad. I'll be like, that. that that's sad. You never want to cheer a, a relationship ending. But I'll also be like, I hope they... Pe- Like no matter what journeys people end up going on, I'm always just like whatever makes you happiest as a human being because at the end of the day, these people are people and we're only seeing like glimpses into these dynamics and these relationships. And as much as I can be rooting for somebody's happiness, like just because like the truth is, I don't know what people's relationships are like. So I'm never going to be like, that's so sad. Like they were meant to be because if they were meant to be, they would have been. So that's just how I, I view relationships but i do love love and i am always rooting for success stories i don't know it's beautiful anyways that that's all i gotta talk about for other shows that i have had things to say about so jumping straight into the bachelor season 28 episode 7 the cold open is is maria expressing doubts to joey she says that she's like having a hard time with it and then the real opening is on Jasper Canada it's like beautiful Joey's riding a motorcycle talks about the sights and how gorgeous it is in Jasper he says last week was tough with Lexi leaving but he says that last week was also great because four women said they were falling for him this week for him is about figuring out if he truly sees the future with the women before they move on to the next step which is hometowns then we see the women arrive in Jasper they're like driving up in cars and they talk about how beautiful it is they point out elk and like the wildlife and they do the typical montage when they arrive to their hotel of like, this place is so beautiful. Daisy says that this is very much her vibe. Kelsey T says she's never experienced a place like this before. Jen says it's beautiful, unreal, never been somewhere like this before. And she says in her ITMs that she wants to get naked and cuddle in the woods. Then they yell, Joey, we're in Jasper off the balcony. Very standard, we're in a new place. Jasper seems beautiful though. I don't know where in Canada, like around where in Canada Canada that is, but it looks beautiful. Then we see Joey and Jesse play tennis. They debrief. Jo- Joey says he's not taking hometowns slightly. Then back at the hotel, we see the women waiting for the day card. Daisy says she wants a one-on-one. Jen says it's been a while since she's had one and she has a lot to talk to him about. Maria says she wants more one-on-one time, but she's obviously respectful of the fact that she just had a one-on-one. And then we get a knock at the door and the date card arrives and it's for Daisy. So Daisy gets the first one-on-one of the week and Jen is having a hard time with that. Like she doesn't, she's not mean to Daisy or anything, but we see Jen kind of struggling a bit with that. Then on Daisy's one-on-one, Joey in his ITMs talks about how she was his first one-on-one, his first real connection, and it hasn't faded at all. But she hasn't expressed how she's feeling to him, though. Like, a a lot of the other women have said that they're falling for him, and Daisy hasn't. On the date, they go horseback riding It's Joey's first time horseback riding. Daisy says that... She says this in her ITMs that she needs today to be able to understand how she's feeling before he meets her family. They then come to the classic bachelor hot tub. They get in. Daisy says that she's excited about the possibility of going home. And then she's like, well, I guess I'll be going home either way, but hopefully it's with you, which is funny. Like I, I enjoyed that. They talk about what kind of love they want. She says she wants an unconditional love, someone who even when they hate you, they love you and will do anything to make it work. And Joey wants the kind of love where you can't see a life without them. Very beautiful, sweet conversations. Then at the, the women back at the hotel are waiting for a date card. Everyone is on the date card except Kelsey A. Jen is especially upset, at least in the edit. They focus on Jen more than the other women. Maria says she's having a hard, to- hard time. When you date someone, you normally see them a lot more than this. Like she, The process is just starting to get, her, to, get to her. Because it's a very abnormal situation to be dating somebody and not only them be dating like a group of other women who you're friends with and living with, but also just the amount of time you get with them, you know, in the courting process. You normally don't get like one date and then before you jump to like, oh, you know what I mean? Like it, it is a very abnormal way to date people back on daisy's one-on-one it's the night time and in her itms daisy says that she's not going to say she's in love with him just for the rose joey asks daisy how she's doing and feeling about everything specifically her family and him meeting them she says that her family are the most important people to her she needs to see not necessarily how they feel about him but about how he interacts with her family because the way the person she's with forever interacts with her family is extremely important to her and it'll say a lot to her. She's honest that she really likes him, but she's not there yet. She can see herself falling in love with him, but she's not currently there yet. It freaks Joey out a little bit, but he is Typical Joey, very reassuring where where he's like, doesn't make a big deal out of it. Daisy says that her family will probably have a lot of questions for Joey specifically about whether he'll be there for her like in sickness and in health because in times where she's been struggling with her health, her family has really been there for her and they would want a partner for her who would do the same. And, And Joey like understands that. He's like super sweet about it once again. So he gives Daisy the rose. It, it'll be his first time in Minnesota. So he's excited about that. And then they end the date ice skating, which is so cute. I, I love that end to a date, like not like dancing into a concert, like ice skating, that sounds so fun. Horseback riding, hot tub, I, dinner, ice skating. What a fun date. And very simple too, like nothing that crazy, but it sounds just fun, like so many fun activities. Then on the group date, it's the last group date of the season. A lot is on the line. Jen isn't feeling great about being on a group date. Kelsey T says that she's gonna give it her all. And basically for this date, they're learning how to be lumberjacks or lumberjills, if you will. Rachel says that she grew up woodworking with her dad, so she feels ready and excited for the date. And, Maria, on the other hand, is really struggling. She's not an outdoorsy kind of gal, which is interesting. I did see there was like a, I don't know what outlet did this interview, but there was some interview Joey did where it was like, is that a red flag or a rose? And one of the questions was like, if they don't like the outdoors, and he said that was a red flag because he personally likes the outdoors. He's like, that's not like a character flaw. It's just we wouldn't be compatible. So I didn't think Maria was winning this season, but it does lend to that not being a match, but anyways, so they have a lumberjack competition, and they 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 face off in pairs of two. There's a few like mini competitions in this big competition. First, they do a log roll, they do a log flip, a single buck cut, and then they chug elk milk. Rachel chugs it, even though she is lactose intolerant and also has a dairy allergy. That sounds not good like there's a difference between like lactose intolerance and like being allergic to dairy i mean neither is good for you but like an allergy like that sounds dangerous girl kelsey t ends up winning the competition and she has a trophy and i wonder if she kept the trophy i always wonder on these shows like how much they get to keep like what do they get to keep do producers take things from you and if they do, do you ever get them back? Because on Big Brother, I know they send you a box, but that doesn't happen for The Bachelor. So it's just like, do you have to hold on to the stuff throughout the season? I don't know. Anyways, then we see Joey giving an ITM and Jen interrupts the ITM to kiss him. We see Maria witness that from afar and she's upset because it's out of her comfort zone to not only be dating somebody who's dating like, multiple people, but to introduce her family to somebody who isn't really her boyfriend boyfriend you know like he's still dating other people it's like weird for her then on the night portion of the group date maria is really not feeling well about the whole thing first we see one-on-one time with jen she says that not getting a one-on-one was disappointing joey says that he hopes she can still see something there and then she talks about how her family is complicated she's like i know with hometowns it's kind of a competition or she doesn't say a competition it's kind of a comparison of like which family do you feel the most comfortable in and she says my family is not is not going to be that family. Like it's complicated. She talks about how her parents don't fully understand her, which I really it resonated with me as somebody who was born in Venezuela but raised in the United States. I feel like there are even though I was, I was raised Venezuelan, most of my cultural like traditions like food holidays, all of that like was Venezuelan. There is like a disconnect between I, I think I also I wonder sometimes how much of it is generational, you know, things are so different in this day and age with social media than they were when my parents were my age. There are many factors, but I definitely think I see the cultural difference and I, I, I would feel it a lot when I would visit when I would visit Venezuela and I would I would meet with cousins around my age. I would really feel that difference culturally. It it, it really is difficult sometimes to, like there are just things about each other that you will never fully understand. He says that doesn't scare him. He's super reassuring. And she feels better after the conversation. I will say, as I, like, I appreciate her honesty. Maybe if it was, I, I don't know. Because I feel like it's easy to say now in hindsight. But it's like, I don't know if that's the best thing to say. Because if you don't have the strongest connection, he's going to send you home. But I guess it's also hard. Because you always, you want to hope that you have the best connection. And saying, like, my family is going to be a stressful environment isn't going to be... And I don't think that's necessarily the reason that he sent Jen home, but I do think he probably like has his final two or three and he's looking for like easier reasons to send people home. I don't really know. I don't want to try to figure out his, his- state of mind. Then we see one one time with Kelsey T, she says she left the date on a high, but she's also in her head. She's made peace with him having relationships with other women, but it's still hard. She brings up hometowns, Joey asks how she feels about that, and Kelsey says that her dad doesn't know where she is, but she says something that I thought was really poignant. She says he wants the best for her, but what he thinks is best is different than what she thinks is best. and. That made sense. That really did to me. I don't know. I love Kelsey T. She's like, I, th- this experience is hard, but I know how I feel when I'm with you, and my heart feels full. It was just so beautiful. I love all the women of the season. Currently, not all the women of the season completely. I was not a fan of Sydney. I will say, I wasn't a fan of Sydney. That doesn't mean that I think she's a horrible person, or do I think she should receive hate. Don't send people hate on the internet. Like, chill out. You know how easy it is to, like block somebody or mute somebody and then you just don't have to see them anymore. And I get it. Sometimes I'm a hate watcher, okay? I mean, actually I don't get send pe- I don't get sending people hate messages or death threats or anything crazy like that. That I don't understand. I under I understand sometimes like engaging in things that like make you angry or like watching people you don't like I understand the hate watching aspect. I don't understand sending people hate but anyways moving on. Maria is still struggling. She's like talking in her ITMs about how she's having a hard time. We see brief one-on-one time with Rachel. She says her family will adore Joey. Maria is talking in her ITMs about how this whole thing isn't normal. And she knows what she signed up for, but it's all hitting her. And I think again, it's like that's that's so true. Like as a viewer, it's so easy to be like, "That's The Bachelor," like that that's what you signed up for. But it's a completely different experience when you're actually living it, and the emotions are are like real and like it, it's easy to say when you're sitting on your couch and you're like, "It's a TV show," but we don't know how it feels unless we've actually experienced that so rachel's one-on-one time with joey's kind of intercut with maria's doubts so while maria is talking in her ITMs and 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 like stressed out a little bit we see rachel talk about or we see rachel show joey a picture of her parents they kiss it's like a very sweet little brief one-on-one time then maria and joey have one-on-one time she says that hometowns mean a lot to her she hasn't introduced somebody to her family unless she's like Formally dating them, and it's hard to go into it with Joey, not because he's not fully hers. And she says, You know, at first, I was like, I want him to experience every girl in here, so when he ends up with me, it means more, which I thought was like so smart. Like, I feel like that is the right approach going into it, but she says, But now it's hard for her, which also makes sense. Like, I I understand both sides, I understand that going into it the best you can hope because if you go into it being like i don't want to see him with other women then you really shouldn't do the show like if you can't emotionally handle dating somebody who's dating other people like the bachelor is just not like the right place for you because that's just just the structure of the show but i think even if you have that mindset of like if he picks me he'll pick me and if it's meant to be like it'll meant to like if our connection is the strongest it'll be the strongest and if not we weren't a match but i think even if you have that kind of mentality that doesn't mean that your emotions can't get the better of you and sometimes it can't be like it's still hard so she she says this but it says that it's it's hard for her joey pushes back says maria discredits what they have he's like you're always talking about what i have with the other women but you discredit what we what we have you and me and maria says it doesn't sit right with her to introduce him to her family when she knows how he is with other women. She doesn't know if she can do this anymore, Joey's like shocked, he's caught off guard. He says his brain gets it but his heart doesn't because he thought they were going somewhere. He asks if her mind's made up and she says she thinks it is and walks away. Then we see Maria crying to producer says she feels bad because she doesn't want Joey to think it's about him, it's not about him. She likes him so much that it's hard for her. Maria comes back, says it's not about him. She's not running from him. Because of how she feels for him, she's scared and she doesn't like seeing him with the other women. He's validating, but he also says he has his own fears and his family had doubts on his hometown with Charity because they didn't want him to get hurt, but she didn't choose him and he's here now and he's better from it. And Joey says that Maria walking out is hurtful because he feels like if she felt the way he did, he doesn't think she'd, she'd be able to walk away. And it it makes him not want to open up when she just runs away. And he says he needs somebody who's 100% in, so it's, like, scary for him. He asks if she still wants to be here, she says yes. She, like, playfully says she won't kiss him, but then she kisses him anyway. And he says, you're all over the place, woman. Then. At the end of the group date, Joey says he can't give out the group date rose, which is fair. Then on Kelsey A's one-on-one, they explore Jasper, they get souvenirs, bucket hats, they get hot cocoa, they eat cookies. They eat cookies Lady in the Tramp style, which I thought was super cute. They're playing pool at a bar, and then at the bar, they run into this man named Paul Hardy, whose title card is typical Canadian, who tells them that they need to do a polar plunge, and Kelsey immediately super excited about that she like really wants to do it it's like something she's like always wanted to do so then we see like a news anchor talking about the jasper polar plunge palooza and is this a real thing because like i just don't believe the bachelor when they say that things are like oh this is a kissing rock or this is a polar plunge that happens in this town every year at this time i don't believe them because they when i think It was Latvia on Hannah Brown's season. They did naked bungee jumping and they were like, this is a tradition here. And then a bunch of people were like, from Latvia, we're like, that's not a thing that people do here. I just don't believe them when they say that. Like, They definitely were just like, what can we do to make Luke Parker jealous? We're going to make her naked bungee jump because then... He'll feel like that's an attack on his Christian values. I don't know. That's just my opinion. I think they were like, let's get her naked. <laughs> but anyways, it doesn't seem that cold outside, but I'm sure the water is cold. I don't know. I wouldn't do this regardless. Joey says he's not built for the cold, but they they, they do it. It seems cute. It's whatever. Then women at back at the hotel, the women chat. Most of them are struggling. That's really the, that's really all. They just talk about how difficult this whole thing is. Then on the night portion of Kelsey A's one-on-one, they debrief about the polar plunge. She says it was scary, but telling him she's falling was scarier. I will say Kelsey A is really good at this about like, I know for a fact from like previous contestants, the producers will like prompt you when you're on a date to like try to connect the date to the relationship in some capacity like if you're playing a a a sport they want you to make some kind of sport pun or whatever and kelsey is really good at that when they were jumping into the to the lake she was like this is a great this is a great way to describe our relationship like you kind of want to tiptoe in but you have to just jump straight in like i don't know she's really good at that hitting us with the it was scary, but like falling, telling, opening up is harder. Like that was beautiful. She's so good at this. He asks about her family and who he'd be meeting. Kelsey says she hopes that all four of her siblings will be there, but she knows her dad will definitely be there. It says he really stepped up when she was younger and he wouldn't miss it. And then Kelsey asks Joey about his dad. And this is the first time we've seen, at least in the edit, one of the women asked Joey something about himself, which I loved because I feel like we barely know anything about Joey and he's like really nice he talks about how his dad felt about going on the show he opens up a little bit more and joey says that he won't get down on one knee unless he's completely sure and joey in his itm says that this is the best conversation they've had that he's had with kelsey a she gets the rose it's really sweet i love them together at the rose ceremony we find out that the cocktail party has been canceled but at the ceremony before he reads any names he pulls maria joey pulls maria for a chat he says that he wants to feel confident that she wants to be here he's very clearly i think joey was probably afraid that something that she would say that he would say maria will you accept the rose? and she would say no i can't do it or something like at the ceremony so i think he just needed to verify before the ceremony that that feeling she was having of like i want to leave hasn't come back because she did say yes i want to be here but she did also earlier she did kind of flip-flop like she he was like is your mind made up and she was like i think it is and then she came back and he was like do you want to be here and she's like yes so it was and then she's like i don't want to kiss you and then she kisses him like i understand why he is kind of probably wants to verify he wants to feel confident that she wants to be here she said that she likes him a lot to the point where she doesn't like seeing him with other girls Her insecurities got the best of her, but she's here and she wants to be here and she wants to prove to him that she's not running away. He doesn't love the response, but he accepts it. Then the roses presented an order. Rachel gets uh, the first rose and then Maria gets the second rose. Obviously they put Maria last for the suspense. Going home are Kelsey, T and Jen. Very sad. I, that this is the final four I predicted. I will say most of my predictions, aren't like when it comes to the winner a lot of the times i try to get my i give give my own predictions but i listen and i watch a lot of bachelor podcasts and content and none of it is spoiler like informed but other people's opinions (laughs) do influence me like i'm not gonna lie and say that everything is just solely based on how i feel watching the edit a lot of it is like well i do know that bachelor fan take on youtube has like figured out through sleuthing that Rachel is in one of the final locations. So she has to make it far. So I knew that Rachel was at least in top four. Like I'm not gonna lie and say that that isn't something I I, I guessed because of him. Because what I guess, that he has the strongest relationship with Rachel. Like, no, I saw it more with Jen in the edit, in my opinion. But again, it's the edit, who knows. But anyways, um, my predictions. So I think, hometowns really really will say a lot so I don't I don't know I think final two like I'm not sure about who's going next but I think it'll either be Maria and then Rachel or Rachel and then Maria I think it depends on if somebody has a really negative hometown if Maria maybe changes her mind again and wants to leave like I don't know like maybe they're setting this up because Maria will also self evict Not self-evict like this is Big Brother like self-eliminate. Sorry, (laughs) like I don't know. In that regard, I don't really know. But I I I don't think like I I think the final two is Kelsey A and Daisy. I am leaning towards Kelsey A. I just see it more with her. I like Daisy. I have nothing against Daisy. I just really love Kelsey A and Joey's dynamic. I'm rooting I'm rooting for them as a couple. But it it'll definitely be Daisy and Kelsey A at the end. I also think just, you know, with Joey's fears, I mean, something could really change for Daisy, but she just seems further behind than the other women, even though Joey's relationship with her isn't further behind. Like, I think Joey feels stronger for her than he does for the other women, but she doesn't. Like, let's say her love level is at like a two right now. All the other women are at like fours or threes or fours. And she's like, like, she's behind, but Joey's level for Daisy is at least a three. And, and for some of the women, it's a three or a two. So it's like, you know, they have mismatched love levels currently. So I just don't know about, I don't know. I see it more with Kelsey A right now. And that, that's just my my two cents. I do think Maria goes next based off of Bachelor fan takes sleuthing. Rachel is shown in a preview for a fantasy suite date. So based off of Bachelor fan take, I will say the final that Murray is going home next week after her hometowns and then Rachel will go after fantasy suites and then the final two will be Daisy and Kelsey A and I think he ends up with Kelsey A and those are my predictions. But moving on to Vanderpump Rules season 11 episode 5. This episode is called Lake It or Break It. The episode opens with like glimpses into people's mornings as it always does. Sheena's morning, Lala's morning like Sheena getting ready, Lala getting ready, Katie and Ariana in a car, Tom and Tom arriving to like a store where they're going shopping. We see James in his car with Graham and he doesn't know how Ali will react. He hasn't told Ali yet. Then Ariana and Katie in their car, discuss their restaurant. We find out that somebody pooped on their patio and they're also struggling with permits like they're really behind. Ariana says, we really wanted to open by the end of this month, but there's just so much logistical red tape that the city keeps throwing at us. And like, I would ask, who do I have to blow at city hall to grease the rails a little bit, but it's West Hollywood. They're all gay, which I thought was a funny little, that was funny. I enjoyed it. Katie and Ariana talked about how they want the water glasses from pump. And Katie also says she has no FOMO about the trip. And then she says, I'm not even sure Tom Schwartz thinks it's a good idea that he's trying to bring everyone together. I think he just is such a people pleaser that he doesn't want to leave anyone out. And I just have to say, Katie is so right. But more on that later. Then Katie asks Ariana what will happen if people come back like besties with Sandoval. And Ariana says it'll be tough, but she needs to respect her own boundaries and she's not going to be loyal to people who aren't loyal to her which I think is fair. Then James arrives at his house with Graham, and Ali is shocked at first. Their cat has never met a dog before. Mr. Banks, their cat has never met a dog before. Ali says she doesn't know if she's ready in her confessionals. And Ali has like a lot of sympathy for Raquel. She like asks, she asks James if Raquel knows, and he's like, no, and, and it's he's our dog now. And Ali's like, that's kind of sad, or that's kind of mean. And James is like, is it? And she's like, kind of. It would be really hard for me if somebody took Banks after I lost everything. And I will say, I, un- I understand that, because I-, I feel that way too. I do think there's something different. And I'm not saying that like surrendering an animal isn't difficult emotionally. But I do think when you make a choice to surrender a pet, there nobody's taking the animal away from you. And I'm not even judging the decision to surrender a pet or not. Like, that's not even the conversation I'm having. But I just think it's fundamentally different. Like, it's not like he ran away or he, like, she was still caring. Like, like, I don't know. He wasn't stolen. And we find out later from Sandoval that, like, they were trying to rehome him. Like, she wasn't wanting to keep him. They didn't take her dog away. She, for all intents and purposes, abandoned the dog. And I and I say that because again, I, I don't think that there is never a reason to surrender a pet to, to rehome a pet ethically. Like I, I I think there are moments where you have to rehome a pet. I just think that if I were to ever in, in my life for some reason I can't even, like I I'm I'm getting sad thinking about it. But like if there was some reason I that I had to rehome either of my cats for one reason or another, I would personally interview people I would like like I would go through I, I I foster kittens and I'm involved in the adoption process I like interview people I like I interview people I, I I all of that I would do that with my with my personal cats just as I do for my foster kittens like I wouldn't just surrender them I would make sure I would know who they're with because I I'd want to know how they end like I, I don't know I i can't imagine like giving up one of my cats and not wanting to stay in the loop of like how they're doing god forbid i can't take care of them for one reason or another i they're always gonna have a piece in my heart why am i tearing up thinking about this i just like i really could i really could never just like not know what's happening like So I just have a hard time and I understand that Allie has sympathy and I like I I love Allie for that. But I also just think Raquel didn't do her due diligence with training Graham with properly finding him like a a good home. I, I, I just feel like she failed this dog and it is sad, but I don't I don't know. Anyways. Why am I getting sad thinking about having to rehome my cats? That's, like, not gonna happen. Oh, my God. I'm not putting that out into the universe. I got so sad thinking about, like, a hypothetical scenario where I can't keep my cats. (laughs) I'm on my period, too, for the record. But I, I, like, genuinely got sad as if that was, like, my... Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's kind of a different situation. Ali, in her confessional, says that she... Can't really get her get rid of Raquel. Like she was constantly there last summer and now she has now they have now They have her dog and Ali's also worried about Graham's behavior because obviously she doesn't want her cat to get hurt Which is so valid then we see Tom and Tom shopping Schwartz says that, that somebody sent him an article about Raquel not going by Rachel Sandoval says that he knew about the Rachel thing But it wasn't his place to reveal that and he says this like it's some big like secret and I even, I have to say, I don't like the way, like, Rachel talked about people calling her Raquel and then people calling her Rachel as if it was, like, a dead name. Like, I, she was, like, it's just respectful when somebody wants to go by something. And it's, like, that that's true. But your name being Rachel and then you wanting to go by Raquel or vice versa is not the same as, like, somebody changing their name for, like, a gender transition. For, for like, there are a lot of different reasons that, like, name changes I mean, obviously, it's rude to call somebody something that they don't want to be called, but it's, like, disrespectful to another level when you're, like, misgendering them with the name. Like, I—and she—like, I don't know. I just think—even the way Sandoval was talking about this now, like, it wasn't my place to share it. What, that her birth name is Rachel? That's, like, public information. Like, what—anyways. Ugh. Then Schwartz also gets another article linked to him about Ra- Raquel leaving the facility. They they inter- they call her Rachel now. Sometimes they call her Rachel. Sometimes they call her Raquel. I'm still going to call her Raquel. Actually, no, I'll call her Rachel. I don't. I'll call her whatever I wrote in my notes at the time. But anyways, um, Schwartz gets an article about Rachel leaving the facility. Sandoval says he knows that she left because his text went through, but he still hasn't heard from her. And her publicist is ignoring her. His calls. Schwartz is excited about the trip. He is going into it with positivity. Sandoval says he just wants to have fun. And then Sandoval asks the store owner, if they have knives, I I found that weird. I don't know. Then Schwartz is trying to tell Sandoval that it would be like a good time to have conversations with people. And he's just not ignoring him. He's just not responding, sorry. Then we see Brock and Sheena shopping for like swimsuits and stuff. And Sheena stressed out the trip. She has mom guilt about leaving her daughter. And she's also scared to stay in the same house as Sandoval. We find out that Sheena's nanny has less time now because the other family that she nannies for just had a baby. So it's just not going to work. Brock is upset. He's kind of harsh. He really wants them to have a nanny. And I wrote in my notes, watching their dynamic just makes me deeply uncomfortable. Like, I just don't feel like I have much to say because I'm just like... Uh, Why am I watching a couple have... Like, I don't know. It adds nothing to the plot. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like judging people's relationships. And and I just... I really feel myself judging their (laughs) relationship. And I don't like it. I'm like, I don't like the way he communicates. But I don't know. Sheena thinks it's weird they're arguing in front of people they don't know at the store... I I have no commentary. It's just, it's very uncomfortable. Then we see everybody getting ready for their trip at Katie's apartment. Schwartz drops the dogs off, tells Katie that Sandoval's coming to Tahoe. We see Lala packing, telling her mom that everybody but Katie and Ariana are going. Then Ann and Tom are interacting. He asks if his all-black outfit will help if he gets stabbed. And Ann is kind of like, yeah, I I mean... It'll cover up the blood, I guess. Like why is he such a weirdo? Like the knife, the blood, like why are you preoccupied with violence? This is not normal. Ali and James are packing. James says he dropped Graham off with Lisa because it was too late to add him to their flight plan. So he's going on Lisa's private jet. (laughs) Ali's nervous about seeing Sandoval and specifically his reaction to Graham. Then everybody arrives at the airport. We see them on their flights. It's like a little montage, whatever. Then we see Lisa in Tahoe. She's doing a photo shoot with Wolves for her new restaurant because it's called Wolf. Then she calls Sandoval and Schwartz. Sandoval says that Sheena said hi to him at the airport and he's really happy about that. And Lisa says to keep going with this energy and Sandoval cries. He's so touched that they said hi to him, which I'm happy for him, (laughs) I guess. Then they arrive at Tahoe, they pick their rooms, they do the bachelor style, we're in a new place montage. I wrote that in my notes. I don't know why I thought that was so funny of me. I write these notes and then a couple days go by and I'm like, man, I'm kind of funny sometimes. And then Schwartz says in his confessionals, I don't want to jinx anything because we just got here, but there's an air of peace. From here, who knows what's possible. You know, we bond a little over this trip. The next thing you know, we're all one happy family and it's because of me. And it really just made me think of like how Katie was like, he just, he doesn't want to leave anybody out. He wants everybody to be included. It's like, he really is just like such a Libra wanting everybody to get along. Like then Brock and Shima's dynamic continues to be uncomfortable. I wrote in my notes either they're bad communicators or the editors hate them and they're only leaving like the bad parts in because all we've seen and I understand that relationships have conflict and when you're editing a TV show you want to show the the conflict, you don't want to show people just having a great time but I feel like if you're editing a relationship Maybe this is just me. I, I don't want to see only the negative parts of, of somebody's marriage. I don't think that's healthy for the marriage. I don't think it's... I Like, I just... I don't think that that's healthy. Because then everybody's like, your marriage sucks. Like, God shows some positive parts. But anyways, then we see Brock and Sandoval talk in the kitchen. Sandoval says he wants to live in the moment. And Brock tries to, like, address stuff. And Sandoval shuts it down. He gets defensive. It, like, really goes... Nowhere. Then we see James tell Schwartz that he's stressed because a lot's been going on. Back to this very brief and then back to Sandoval and Brock's conversation. Brock says, you put everybody's friendships in a really difficult position. And then Sandoval replies, what I did was horrible, but neither Raquel nor I did that out of any sort of malicious intent, but we felt that things were done towards us with very specific malicious intent. This man is allergic to accountability. Like you're going in a circle. Do you not realize that part of the reason people came at you so hard was because you didn't show remorse? because you were like not genuinely accountable and apologetic and tried to seem like you were changing? Like, don't you think that's the reason people kept going harder? Do I think that their reaction was necessarily like the best and the kindest? No, but I also just think it's like, if you apologize first, if you rectify the situation first, people will stop attacking you. and if they do keep attacking you, then address it there, but you need to work on mending the original wrong that you d- committed. You haven't righted that wrong, and you know, I just genuinely don't think he, he, he thinks he did anything wrong. Anyways, James comes into the kitchen. Sandoval says thanks for being nice, and James is like cordial, but he's not ready to be cool with Sandoval yet, and then Sandoval says in his confessionals, and this really pissed me off. He said, I feel like they're expecting me to just come in and grovel at their feet and beg for forgiveness, but they're failing to acknowledge the way they came after me. Talking shit about me on social media, selling merch, hardcore pushing conspiracy theories on podcasts. This isn't just about them forgiving me. This is something we need to mutually move on from together. And that pissed me off. That pissed me off. You don't get to stab somebody actually no i'm not gonna go with the violent analogy you don't get to and i it sounds childish but it's like you started it you started it you caused I'm, I'm sitting up because i this is very oh okay you can't wrong people and then they react in a way that upsets you and now you're upset and they have and and so they owe you an apology That's not a healthy way to rectify a situation. That's not a healthy way to rectify a situation. Like you're saying, yes, I hurt you, but then he's saying, yeah, like I caused harm, but I didn't mean to cause harm and people caused me harm and they clearly meant it. I I just like, what, how can you say, uh, yes, I caused harm, but I never had any bad intentions, but the people causing me harm did have bad intentions you don't know people's intentions first of all you're not in their brain you don't know people's reason behind things maybe they didn't have bad intention either maybe they were reacting out of pain out of being triggered you don't know people's intentions first of all second of all i don't understand how somebody can have an affair for nine months because a nine month affair or seven months i don't know a months long affair is not like one mistake that you did that you didn't mean to hurt somebody and like you really you, you messed up once. Uh, a months long affair is decision after decision, choice after choice, the, the decisions and choices are the same. Th- actually, no, they're not. They're not the same thing. It, it, it's step after step. It's a million little choices and paths you took that repeatedly caused harm to somebody that you supposedly loved at one point. That is not, I didn't have bad intentions. First of all, Sandoval needs to learn the difference between intent and impact. Because at the end of the day, even if you in your heart had the purest of intentions, the harm you caused is very real and very tangible. And that is what you should focus on. Not well, my intentions weren't bad. Because, you know, I, I don't understand how, and James says later in the episode, like not to skip ahead, but James says, he says later, nobody wants to hurt people, but you did something that you knew would hurt somebody. And it's like, that, that, that is what it is. That's a great way to describe it. Most people don't go into situations being like, sometimes people do, sometimes people are, are mean or they're reacting from a place of hurt and they wanna say something hurtful. But a good amount of the times when we hurt other people in our lives, it wasn't intentional and it can be kind of you know nice and reassuring to know that the person wasn't trying to cause us harm but when you go to somebody and you're like hey that hurt my feelings you don't want somebody to be defensive and be like well I, i didn't mean it that way why are you why are you mad at me i didn't mean to be hurtful you don't want that because you know what it is it's invalidating you want somebody to say i'm so sorry i really i didn't i would never intend to hurt you i'm so sorry that I did how can I rectify the situation and that's like not even like a very (laughs) in-depth there's just like a basic you know gist of what you what is a good thing to say to somebody is I'm so sorry I'm so sorry that I caused you pain you don't got to dive into your intentions because what you're doing is minimizing their pain you're saying well I didn't mean to hurt you you're like basically blaming them for feeling that pain. I had good intentions. What What does that matter? It, it really It really made me angry for him to say that this is something that they mutually need to move on from together. Like it isn't something that, that they need to forgive him for. It's something they need to mutually move on from together. It's like, no, 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 I'm sorry, no. And I will say, if, if, if Tom Sandoval was my ex-boyfriend, if I, oh God, saying that I had a physical reaction, I threw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> If I was Ariana and and all of this happened, honestly, watching the show back would just validate to me and confirm that I don't wanna be friends with anybody who is friends with Tom Sandoval because somebody who is so unable to, to acknowledge the pain they caused to the point where they're like, this is something we need to mutually forgive each other for. Like, no, there is no mutual, because, you know, actions have consequences and maybe the consequences then also caused you harm right but you need to start with the action that led to the consequence and then once you like you know what I mean it just it doesn't make sense like no no Tom Sandoval is unable to be like I did something wrong point blank period it's always I did something wrong but what other people have done is just as bad or what people have done is worse or I hurt you but we both hurt each other so it doesn't like, it's always, it's never just, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I did this. It's we together, we both caused each other harm. And you know what? I have, I, I will admit, okay, I, I, I am 24 years old. I will be 25 in June. I am significantly younger than Tom Sandoval, like two decades younger than Tom Sandoval. Actually, maybe like one de- No, I, I don't know. He's like 40, right? It's like 15 years younger than him, let's say. I don't know how exact how old he is exactly, but like he's at least a decade older than me. And I recognize this behavior to some extent uh, as something that I once did. Okay. Maybe like a couple, like a few years ago when I was really mentally unwell, I hadn't worked on myself. I, 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 I recognize this to some extent. Okay. I have in my past and this is not something I'm proud of. Okay. I'm not. I've worked on it and I feel like I've gotten a lot better. I... I think I'm a lot better at communicating now. I think I am hopefully not this way anymore. But there would there would be moments in my life where I would have a conflict with somebody and then that conflict would trigger my self-esteem or my ego or some deep rooted insecurity that I had from some past trauma. And it would make me so mentally unwell that I would be like defensive and I would be like, I want, I, I am so unwell right now like like yes I hurt you but you've triggered me like I, I did that constantly I deflected I always and, and, and honestly the relationships I have now are so much better now that I'm not that way like not just for the other person like I, I feel like I'm causing less harm but I also it's so much easier for me now to communicate properly when I'm not reacting this way and I genuinely just think Tom Sandoval needs to learn to communicate. Needs to learn how to take a step back to not react from that point of pain. To he just I don't know. Tom Sandoval needs to work on work on himself for real. And I say this as somebody who sees ineffective behaviors. Not okay. I'm not saying that I am to, that I. I think Tom Sandoval has a lot of traits that I cannot relate to, and I'm not trying to say that we are one in the same. But this communication defense, like this communication, I will admit, again, it's not something I'm proud of, but there were moments in my life where I was so emotionally dysregulated or I don't know, like I was so bad at communicating that I I would be hurt or and I would be triggered by somebody communicating that I hurt them, that it would become about my pain and I was not able, like I couldn't see past being i couldn't see past my trigger like i went straight into like i'm triggered i i would react emotionally i would not i would not see the other person's side i would be like i'm i'm so unwell right now like i'm so unwell i'm hurt too we're we're both causing each other pain and i would fail to realize that i was the one who initially lashed out like i was the one who initially caused that harm and that's okay to say sometimes because it does feel shitty to hurt people it does hopefully It it feels bad when you hurt people. And I am somebody who, and again, I'm not saying that this is exactly how Tom Sandoval feels. I don't know the man. But for me, it would really trigger me because I have very low self-esteem. I have a lot of like issues regarding my self-esteem and my self-worth and it genuinely like, it felt like it triggered my like sense of self because I was like, I'm not a mean person. I'm not like a selfish person. But the reality is just because I don't feel like that defines who I am as a person, that doesn't mean that there weren't moments or there aren't moments in my life where I am selfish, where I am hurtful, where I am mean. Like I, I, I don't know. I, it, it's not. It's not a healthy way to receive feedback. Not even just selfishly. Selfishly. If Tom Sandoval only cares about like, even if it's just for your own well being, it is not a healthy way. It's not like a really is not a healthy way to exist in the world to view feedback and people expressing their hurt by your actions as like an attack on your character. It really is emotionally taxing to feel that way. And it feels so much better when you're able to be like, I was hurtful, but that doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. And it doesn't mean that this relationship I have is not good or that I shouldn't be in this person's life or they shouldn't be in my life. It just means, that I was hurtful in that instance and that's all it needs to be sometimes. Tom Sandoval, these people saying, and maybe the way they've communicated isn't the most effective, but people being hurt by your behavior and the way you- people pointing out that you hurt them and critiquing your behavior is not- it's not an attack on your sense of self, like it doesn't need to be. And, and again, I'm, I'm probably projecting and maybe this isn't why he acts this way, but I, I, I genuinely, I, I I recognize ineffective behaviors in myself. And again, maybe I'm projecting, it. I don't wanna, I don't know this man's brain. I'm just, I I know how I've dealt with feeling initially defensive when somebody comes to you that you've hurt them. I felt that way before. And it's just not good for you because you're not solving the problem. Like if it is genuinely like triggering his sense of self or whatever, or, or if it is a similar Experience that I have like it. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. Anyways <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to to talk about myself, but it's just like it it sucks It sucks to hear that you hurt people but you can hurt somebody and And all that means is that you hurt somebody. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person It doesn't mean that you're evil. It doesn't mean like it, it doesn't have to mean anything about your moral character I think the way you respond if you further cause harm Again, I don't think that necessarily says anything about your character, but like if you don't put in the work to learn how to not cause harm and, and, and not like double down and then cause more harm with your reactions, then you're doing yourself and other people in your life a disservice, I guess, is my TLDR. Anyways, right. sorry. Sandoval tells the group he has a guided meditation person coming the next day. Lala and her ITM, not ITMs, in her confessionals, I the same thing says that she thinks it's admiral that sandoval is working on himself i really don't see it i feel like maybe he's working on himself but i wish i don't know and again maybe i'm projecting like maybe his issues are completely different than mine and the work he needs is not the work that i needed so maybe i shouldn't assume i'm sure people feel defensive in in response to criticism for a variety of different reasons and my own self-esteem and personal issues and personal traumas are not exactly like Sandoval's. We are different people. We shouldn't project my own experience onto him. Regardless of the origin, I do just think that behavior, which I recognize in myself as something that I have done in the past, I do genuinely just think that's a harmful way to deal with conflict, to deal with harm you've caused and to mend defenses. And I, and, and I don't, regardless of where that comes from, and regardless of what work he would need to do to maybe fix that behavior, I do feel comfortable and fine saying that I don't think that behavior and that way of communicating is healthy. I'm not a therapist, it's just my opinion. Anyways, moving on. Lisa arrives to the lake house with Graham. Everybody's like shocked. James reveals that he's naming him Hippie. He says it's an homage to his godfather's dog. He says he could never have dogs growing up and now that he finally has like a dog of his own that he can name he wants to name him Hippie because he says he didn't name Graham. James is kind of shady about how he talks about the situation. He's like, this is what happens when you leave and you can't deal with it. But honestly, I, I get it. I would be bitter too if I shared a animal with an ex and then they left and didn't do their due diligence. Again, again, I think rehoming a pet surrendering a pet for for a variety of reasons i'm not saying it's it's like a bad thing to do but i just don't think she did her due diligence in finding him like a proper home if he was like in a foster home for two months and then the foster home couldn't handle him and they had to like surrender him to a shelter like she didn't she didn't find somebody who could handle whatever behavioral issues he had and like figure out how to train him and james has had him now this was last summer so james has had him for probably at least like six months. And from what I've heard, they've trained him and he's doing a lot of, he's doing a lot better. It was mostly food aggression. Like, I I just think, I don't know. I understand why James is kind of shady and bitter. But anyways, Santa Fall in his confessional says that what James is saying about Graham is not really the case, but he's not going to say anything because he doesn't need to cause conflicts. Again, uh, Sandoval just drives me crazy. I really, I try so hard to go into these shows and not make judgments and moralistic judgments on people's character and like be like, I don't like them because the truth is, I don't know them. But there are some where I'm watching these shows and I'm like, God, I don't like these people. I really don't like Tom Sandoval. You know what? I don't care. I don't like Tom Sandoval. I don't like the way he portrays himself. I don't like the words he says. I don't like his general vibe, his general aesthetic. He gives me Negative vibes. I would never want to be friends with him. I don't enjoy watching him on TV. I don't like Tom Sandoval I don't know him personally. He's never done anything to me personally. I don't think he's evil. I don't think he's a bad person I'm not making any moralistic judgments. I personally do not enjoy his presence on my TV screen And that's what it is. Then Ali asks Sandoval about Graham and or I'm gonna call him hippie from now on. He says that hippie a- attacked a couple people and they just couldn't do it anymore. And the last he heard, they were trying to rehome him. Again, all this tells me is that Raquel did not do her due diligence as a dog owner. How do you leave for like months and you don't even like, like, I don't know. I like, that doesn't make sense. Like, like, is that not, how is that different from what James was saying? It's like, oh, you go away and you can't handle it or you can't deal with, like, deal with the consequences. Like, maybe his framing wasn't exactly right, but like, is what happened not that Raquel basically abandoned her dog. I just think if you're gonna rehome an, an animal, you need to do your due diligence. You need to, I don't wanna keep harping on this anyways. Um, also, what does he mean by attacked a couple of people? I've seen, I'm pretty sure Ali has said that he like bit a couple, a maybe he bit like somebody, it was like food aggression, I don't really know. I don't think he attacked people. Attack is a very strong word. Biting obviously is bad behavior in dogs. I'm not like defending him but I don't think he attacked somebody like severely. I just, I also think it's like dogs don't bite out of nowhere. If he has food aggression or if he bit somebody for some reason, it's like they they could, they could train him, you know? I feel like there are very few extreme circumstances where a dog cannot be any, like, he seems like a very chill, well-behaved dog overall. He isn't like acting crazy. From what we've seen, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. And, and Allie says, and I, lo- I love this. She says, if Rachel can change her name, why can't Graham? <laughs> I loved that. Then they have fun at the lake. Then we see Ariana back in LA. She's on the phone with her like house designer. What are they called? Interior designer. And she's talking about the house. She says, that she says in her confessionals that Tom wants to buy her out, but she's concerned about the furniture she's like come around to him having the house but when she says the house she means the four walls not the stuff inside the house because a lot of it was acquired like jointly and she doesn't want or it was hers and she doesn't want to be like you know taken advantage of which i think is fair she wants to make a list of everything and like where everything was from like which i I think is smart then then back at the lake we see schwartz tell Lala and sheena that sandoval cried on the car ride over ali tells James about what Sandoval said about Hippie. Then Sheena FaceTimes her daughter. Brock says he needs to be more aware of his surroundings and considerate of Sheena's feelings. They kind of like, they mend somewhat their fences, but their dynamic just makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. Then everyone arrives at Lisa's restaurant. It's like still in construction and they all hit the wall and she like yells something that bothers them. James starts and he says should have looked after Graham better then Schwartz says he doesn't want to be single at 40 Sheena yells motherfucking restraining order Sandoval yells like a ton of things first he yells scumbags and cheaters then he yells worms with a mustache Charles Manson's son then he just yells Lala he yells James Kennedy he he yells um Scandaval. I really can't stand him. And then Lala says, how about you hit the wall for your actions, though? It had to do with everybody else, but let's remember why this all happened. And again, it's like, that is the problem. Sandoval can never be like, I started this. I was the one who initially caused harm. Well, the way they reacted to it was just as harmful, if not more. So who's really in the wrong here? It's like you. You were the one who started it. That's okay to say sometimes. I promise the world won't end if you just say I am sorry that I blew up the entire friend group, that I ruined everybody's dynamic, that I that I put people's lot, like that I that I drastically changed the course of everybody's relationships. Things will never be the same, even if he is somewhat welcomed back into the group and Ariana eventually is cordial with him. Things will never be the same because of what he did it's so exhausting honestly maybe this upsets me because i'm like man i used to be such a shitty person i don't know I, i i don't think i'm a shitty person nor do i think santa was necessarily a shitty person i think there also is like a difference between somebody in their 40s acting this way and i was like in my early 20s I really feel the older I get, like, I feel my my, my my brain developing more. Like, I feel more and more mature. I feel a lot more capable of handling things, a better communicator. A lot of it is obviously, like, I'm not going to discredit the work I've put in because I, I don't think this has just come naturally. But I do think a lot has come with maturity and stuff. I just, I do think there's something different about somebody in their, like, 40s. And it's never too late to change your behavior and get help. And that's not what I'm trying to say, but I'm just, like... I don't know. I try to have some more grace for myself because it's hard because I try to have compassion for for people like Tom Sandoval. But then I'm like, I don't want to put myself in the same category because I don't I don't know. I don't I don't think I'm at his level. (laughs) But I I, like the thing is, I can't I can't acknowledge that the way I used to communicate and the way I used to respond the feedback into criticism into somebody saying i hurt them was really unhealthy it was very harmful the way that i would double down and i would get defensive and i would not be able to see past my own insecurities and i had to just like take a step back and realize that i what i was hearing wasn't what the person was actually saying to me when i would have issues with people no nobody was really ever saying to me I mean, you're evil, you're a bad person, you're selfish, I hate you. Like, nobody was saying that to me, but that's what I was hearing when it was like, this hurt my feelings. I would hear, like, that I'm the worst person ever. And it's like, nobody said that. It was just triggering a part of me that that then I, I wouldn't be able to see past that. And I just, I wish Santa Fall would, like, be able to, to recognize that. But anyways, and I don't know, maybe that's not what's happening with him. <sighs> maybe his sense of morality is, like, impaired. I don't really know. I'm not trying to diagnose him. Moving on. at a dinner with Lisa. Lisa says Schwartz being sad about being single at 40 made made her sad. And Lala asks about Joe. And like, I wrote in my notes, like, at this point, I just want them to date. So the ongoing conversation about whether they're dating or not can feel relevant. Because it's like, at this point, I get it, okay? They're not dating. I don't care about this Joe person. (laughs) Sorry. Then Lisa puts James on the spot and asks him something he likes about Sandoval, which was like super awkward. Then Brock asks about the house, Sandoval says he offered to buy her out and for her to be completely done. And I wrote in my notes, I think that's the problem. I think the problem is that that he just wants to give her a check and for her to move out and that'll be it. And she wants to like properly divide their assets and like actually take inventory and not just leave, which I think is fair. She doesn't want to completely lose everything. She doesn't want to have to have a fresh start because he made the decision to wreck the home. And Sandoval says he hasn't spoken to Ariana since the reunion. Then Sheena in her confessional says she can't imagine being Ariana living in the same house as Sandoval because it's hard for her to even be at the same table as him. Then post the dinner with Lisa, the gang gets a drink. Lisa's not there anymore. And Lala asks about the meditation stuff and Sandoval kind of explains what it's gonna be like. And then Sandoval pulls James for a chat. He says that he just wants to coexist. He was overwhelmed when everything was happening. He says he and Raquel never meant to hurt anybody. James responds, nobody wants to hurt anybody, but you knew it would. And that's exactly what I was saying earlier. Most people, when you hurt, like I I don't know the statistics because I'm not like a statistician, (laughs) but I would, I would probably say that most people and most of the harm caused in the world, a good amount of it isn't, isn't from malintent, at least in interpersonal relationships. I'm sure we hurt a lot of the people we care about because not out of malintent. And, and again, I think that is, is a problem that I, would, I personally had where it was hard for me to be like, this person isn't reading into my intentions. They're just commenting on how, what I said or what I did made them feel like they're not saying they're not reading into my intentions and i'm trying to defend my intentions when my intentions weren't even in question it was like the harm caused by what i said you know so like i I don't his focus on intention to me is saying that he hasn't been able to separate like intention versus like the behavior itself and the car the harm it caused if that makes sense because James is right. Nobody wants to hurt anybody, but you. But you. Sometimes you do something, and you know that it can. That that it's hurtful, and maybe you don't recognize it in the moment because you're acting out of emotion. But when this was an ongoing thing, like there has to be a moment in the quiet, during the affair, you're not always actively participating. There has to be moments where you're with Ariana, and and you realize, I'm cheating on her. I'm causing her pain. Like, is there not that recognition when you're? Anyways, I really just keep repeating myself when it comes to Sandoval. Sandoval says, he asks, what could have come of this that wouldn't have been catastrophic? And James says, don't you think if you were smarter, you could have ended it with Ariana made it work with Raquel? And Sandoval says, it's not that simple. And maybe it wasn't at first. Maybe it wasn't at first. Like maybe but there gets to a point where you're months in where at that point it, it's, I, I don't know. I just do, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Like if you're too much of a coward, write her a letter. I don't fucking know. She found She found out because she found explicit images on your phone. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense. And James says it comes down to not being able to, like, man up and leave the relationship. And that's exactly the point. There's there's always, like, steps, you know? First, you find yourself getting too close emotionally, and then you're spending more time alone. And then you, you recognize that you're attracted to the person, and you still keep entertaining that. Like, there are steps. There are a ton of steps before you even cheat that you can stop yourself. But even after the first time you've cheated. The second time, seven months in, seven months in, and and, and it's not that simple. Like theres there's gotta be a point. It, it makes no sense to me. Sandoval in his confessional says, it wasn't just about being with Raquel. It was about leaving a relationship that wasn't suiting him. The path he was going down was not a good one. It needed to change. And I have to ask, is the path he went down any better? Is the path he's currently on better? Because yes, you can. Th- that relationship wasn't suiting you. But that doesn't mean you go down a a more home, like, it makes no sense, it makes no sense. Oh God, I'm sorry. I don't know why I keep recapping this show, It's just giving me a headache. James says he really felt like Tom would never betray him, so it especially hurt. He says in his confessionals, Tom Sandoval was the last person in Hollywood that was gonna fuck me over, you know? He was the one guy that I really did trust with all my might. It just blows my mind that he was the one to backstab me. Tom apologizes, James says he needs to take it all in. There are tons of flashbacks to moments of Tom and James throughout the years, and James says nothing will ever be the same and that's why he's been so angry. And, and again, exactly, nothing will ever be the same. And I just wish Tom would acknowledge that. Tom says that it's at James's ease, they'll work through it, and it ends on a pretty positive note all things considered. Moving on to The Traitors. Season 2, Episode 10, The Weight of Deceit. The last episode ended on the cliffhanger, who will MJ vote for? And we come back and MJ's vote is for Peter, RIP Peter. Peter reveals he's a faithful. Duh. John says it was obvious. Exactly. And then after the round table, John says to CT that one or two people are just determined to go with Phaedra, no matter what. Trishel says to, to... a group of the women that she'll probably go home for this, but like for pushing this hard, but she still thinks it's Phaedra and she thinks there are two traders left. CT asks John if Parliament is harder than this and he says it's way easier, which is funny because Pete said, Pilot Pete said that The Bachelor was harder. So what I'm gathering is that The Bachelor, the order goes The Bachelor, The Traders and Parliament. Apparently The Bachelor is the hardest. Like, that's so funny that the Peter's like, this is way easier than The Bachelor. But then John is like, this is way harder than Parliament. That's so funny. Like, anyways, MJ is upset about voting on a faithful. She feels bad for Peter. CT thinks that in the group of girls, like the Bravo clique, one or two are traitors and the others are just staying with them until the end, until they're either recruited or like they, they make it to the end. Then Sheree and Sandra talk to Phaedra about how she feels about being... Accused, Sheree asks about CT. Phaedra says that it was weird that he voted for her. Then Sheree in confessional says she doesn't think Phaedra is a traitor, but she's not doing a good job defending herself. <laughs> then Kate says she feels bad for Phaedra, but that she should have been smarter with her murders before Kate joined. Then Kate and Phaedra in the turret, they're like pretty funny. They talk about who to murder. Phaedra points out who supports her. They want to play a number. They're like, they want to play a numbers game. So let's play a numbers game. And I wrote in my notes, I think it would have been smart to kill somebody on their side to deflect attention. I know it's the end game, but it's just like buying yourself one more night even works. And it's like killing somebody that that's really close to Phaedra would then maybe help her because she could be like, well, why would I kill them? Why would I I whittle down the numbers on my side when there's already suspicion on me? You know, that I feel like that could help. I don't know if, if it would have saved her, but I feel like that could be a, a, a good deflection of like, I have suspicion on me. The people who are against me could very much push harder. Why would I take off one of my numbers? It wouldn't make sense. Why would I be a traitor? Like, I think one of the most illogical things for me that about Peter being a traitor, like that made the least amount of sense is why would he vote off? Like, why would he kill up all of his allies? It made made no sense. It made no sense to me. But anyways, so they wanna kill people who aren't on their side. And it's between John and Trishel. They want to break down the opposing side, basically. So at breakfast, the first two people to come in are MJ and Sandra. MJ in Confessional says she was up all night, very emotional about losing a faithful. She doesn't want to vote Phaedra, but she also doesn't want to keep a traitor. Sandra says she wants to be there at the end with the people who have been there for her since the beginning. And she doesn't really specify. She's not like, I want to get to the end with faithful. She's like, I want to be there for the people who have been there for me. And then and then MJ's like, and, and with faithfuls. And Sandra's like, yeah, yeah, of course with faithfuls but I, I think again it's very telling of sandra's strategy sandra in her confessional says that she did what she set out to do and that was to make friends with everybody so she could so they could trust her and keep her around and i again exactly i think that's the point sandra wanted the faithful to trust her and she also wanted the traitors to trust trust her so she would never be murdered or banished which is very smart ct is in next like peter P- peter's Fault was that the traitors really hated him and he also got a, a good swath of maybe swath he got a good amount of, of the faithful to also not like him sandra most people like her <laughs> so like she has allies everywhere that's exactly what you have to do then sandra tells ct that his name might come up after last night's banishment which i find interesting then Phaedra in, because like th- th- that's just an interesting comment because it kind of like nothing ever happened with that. So then Phaedra's in next, she says in her confessionals that she likes CT and she was disappointed last night, but it is what it is, all fair in love and war. You know what What I think is funny is people have been shipping CT and Phaedra and like she did like an exit interview yesterday, or it came out yesterday and the interviewer was like, you know, people want you guys to be together. And she's like, oh God, like uh, that's not a thing at all. She's like, it was a, a f- pure friendship. She did, she did call him castle daddy. Like no wonder people were like, oh my God, they're in love. But it was funny to me. MJ asks Phaedra who she thinks was murdered and Phaedra says she doesn't know. And it's like, girl, you got mad at Dan for doing that. Don't fall into his same trap. Hell sake, you think a Kate was murdered. Kate's not getting murdered and and nobody's thinking Kate, but it would, I don't know. Then Sandra says she thinks it's between John and Trichelle. CT thinks it's John. The the gamers are so good. I love the gamers. Like I know they've kind of been whittled down at this point and like say what you will about the non-gamers, but I liked the gamers. I'm sad that so many of them were whittled down. But anyways, then MJ asks the group what they think about Kate and Phaedra says she thinks she's a faithful. CT then asks if Phaedra thinks anyone's a, a traitor and Phaedra says, well, there there has to be a traitor left. And again, that's a bad answer. Give a solid answer. Then CT says that he knows none of the housewives were murdered. Again, why I think killing off some of the people from your side is a good idea, especially after the side's have been used against you at round tables as reasonings for banishment. Then Phaedra her confessional says if she can get through today, it's all over, which is not really accurate. I don't remember exactly how the end game works because I've only seen one season, but they do at the end have a final opportunity to say, we still think there's a traitor in the group. It's not just like you get through this night and then you're you're good to go. You've made it to the end. They still have the chance to vote you out right at the end. And if some of them are smart, they're probably keeping around a traitor. Like, I think Sandra probably knows that, Fa- that like, Phaedra is a trader. I don't know if she... I think she, she, I think Sandra has known who the traitors were. Like she's known that the traitors were on her side, but she wanted them on her side. Anyways, then Sharae is in next. She says in confessionals that she believes Phaedra is a trustworthy person, but if she's not a traitor, she doesn't know who else it could be. Then the last people who haven't come in are Kate, Trichelle, and John. Sandra says it's between Trichelle and John. And if it's not, she'll be shocked. Then MJ says, this is so frustrating to have to say this. But at the table last night, when Peter said, Why would I murder someone from my own team every single night? That was a good point. And I'm like, Literally, MJ, you're so right. It's nice to see her regret. I was like, Loving MJ this episode. I'm like, You know what? You made a mistake, but at least you can recognize it. She says that if Trishelle or John are murdered, she thinks Phaedra has to be a traitor. Then the last two people to come in are Kate and Trishell, so R.E.P. John. We see a flashback to the turret. They say that Phaedra has the best chance at a round table without John there because like John talks too much. And then we see John get his little death note and he's not surprised at all. Back at breakfast, Trishel wants to figure out how to convince Phaedra's people to vote against her. She says this in her confessionals. Then CT says he hopes he is as functional as John was at his age. And MJ says, I don't think he's old. I think people in England just still get Botox, which was so funny. Ugh, they're so funny. Like, the show's really funny. I, I, if this wasn't, I mean, I, I'm talking about it on the podcast. So I was going to keep watching anyway. But I have to be honest, Peter leaving really it's not that I don't like anybody left on the cast because I genuinely do but all the people that I went into the show knowing have been like sent home at this point and so I I gotta admit I would be a lot less invested if the show wasn't about to end and also if I wasn't covering it because all the people I, I cared about have gone home but all that being said they are really funny and the show is like very entertaining so I am enjoying it uh, but it, it was very, it was devastating for Pete, Pilot Pete to go home. You know what? Because if Pilot Pete, like if their arguments made sense, maybe. But it's like Pilot Pete has been like the most obvious faithful the entire time. H- him potentially being a traitor and their reasoning was so weak to me because... Maybe like some of their points like if you look at the evidence of Peter being a traitor The evidence of like reasons that it would make absolutely no fucking sense for him to be a traitor were like way way longer Like that list was like five times longer if not ten times longer like it made no sense So I think that made it even more painful. But anyways, they toast to John CT imitates him Kate asks the group how many traders they think are left MJ says two Sandra says there could even be three. Then Alan comes in, hints that the mission involves a bridge. CT is the only man left and he says that he feels like he's on a dating show. He jokes that the winner of today's challenge will get one-on-one time with him. This is like, Peter's gone. You're mocking The Bachelor. It's so rude. (laughs) It's so rude. Okay, Bachelor Nation doesn't deserve this amount of disrespect. I'm kidding. Then after the breakfast, but before the mission, Sandra and Phaedra talk. Sandra says that anything that happens will be put on Phaedra. Sandra in her confessional says that she won Survivor twice because she was able to be friends with the people she needed to be to befriend, and that's what she plans to do here. And to me, that indicates that she knows Phaedra is a traitor, but she's going to be friends with the people she needs to be friends with, including traitors. MJ needs to talk to Sheree and Kate to convince them that they can't let their loyalty blind them. She says that they need to vote for Phaedra and that Phaedra can maintain her cool in difficult situations. Kate changes the subject. She thinks that she says that she was thinking Sandra could be the other trait could be a traitor. Then MJ is really bad like struggling in her confessional. She's like, Kate Sandra could be I think MJ's just really doubting herself and kind of struggling. Then Kate says in her confessionals that she's determined to stop the traitor hunt. CT and Trishel talk numbers. They agree that the Bravo girls won't vote for Phaedra. Trishel is mad that they didn't listen to her two roundtables ago. She thinks she's been pretty spot on. Trishel says CT is the only person left that she trusts. Trishel then crashes the Bravo chat and CT eavesdrops. Trichelle basically accuses them of knowingly keeping a traitor. MJ says there's no way she would. It wasn't intentional. And MJ says Trichelle is 100% part of their group. She like doesn't want her to think that that they're like excluding her. Then on the mission, they like have to search through like a pile of, of mud or leaves or whatever to find gold nuggets. And then they have to transport them across the lake on these wobbly bridges to the other side until they... It's like on like a scale and until the scale is balanced then. And it'll be balanced when they reach $30,000. And each gold nugget is worth $150, I believe. Phaedra tries to go across first and she falls. There's lots of arguing when looking. Oh, and there's also one shield in the pile of stuff. There was lots of arguing when looking for the gold and the shields. MJ finds the shield. She fails her first attempt to go across the lake. Cause you have to get the shield across the lake to put it in and, and put it in the little shield bucket. I don't know what they call it. There are a lot of failed attempts of crossing the lake. And then Trichelle is the first to bank money. CT then banks money. He says that in his confessionals that he feels like this comp- this competition was made for him. And CT and Trichelle are, ba- are basically banking all the money at least in the edit. I don't know if anybody else banked any money. And again, this is why you need some of the gamers. You'd get no money for your little trader prize pot at the end if it wasn't for the people who played competitive reality TV. That being said though, Pilot P was a, uh, was a decent competitor, so but the Bachelor is a professional sport, so that's not so. <laughs> <laughs> then CT banks the last money they needed, and MJ does get the shield to cross the lake right before time's run, time, time runs out. Like, Alan's counting down 10, 9, 8, 7. Like, I i obviously, like, for competition shows, they can't rig everything, but I don't believe that the times they tell us that things take actually are accurate. They fudge those numbers a little bit. Like, the first competition, like, the amount of times that they've been, like, cutting it close, like, right, like, The last minute they get it in, that can't, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Then after the mission, but before the round table, so like at dinner, basically, Trichelle asks Sandra and Charay what they're thinking. And Sandra says she already knows it's Phaedra. Which again, just kind of reinforces to me what I was saying earlier about Sandra, like saying that she's going to be friends with the people she needs to be friends with. She was willing to be friends with Phaedra even knowing that Phaedra is a traitor, which I take no issue with. Sheree is torn. She needs to talk to Phaedra. And then we see Kate, MJ, and CT talking. And Kate is trying to take the heat off of Phaedra. So she says that they should save Phaedra for the last day when they know, like she wants to save the, the one they're all sure about for the last day when the money's on the line. And that they should go for like the second most likely person because everybody's everybody agrees her second trader so she thinks they should vote sandra tonight then Trishelle notices mj through the window of the dining hall or like the 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 i don't know the place they, it's the same place they eat breakfast they like notice mj Trishelle notices mj ct and kate talking outside and sandra says kate is talking a lot and Sandra decides to go out there to see if they stop talking when she shows up, and they basically do. Kate does say, like, well, I think we should vote for, like, the second most likely person, not Phaedra, and then she's like, well, who would that be? And she's like, I have no idea. Like, she she, she does— it's really awkward. Then we see Sheree and Phaedra talk. Phaedra says she thinks it could be CT. Sheree Shere asks what she thinks of Sandra. Phaedra's just, like, not giving the best answer. She's, like, kind of— she's not solid about anything. She's like, maybe, I don't know. And then Sheree basically wants Phaedra to help her, help Phaedra and Phaedra's not really doing much. Then Sheree, point blank asks Phaedra if she's a traitor. She obviously says no. And Phaedra in her confessional says she feels bad because her relationship with Sheree is way more important than the game. So it's hard to lie to her. At the round table, Alan gives his little speech and then Trichelle speaks first and accuses Phaedra. MJ says she didn't think Phaedra was a traitor, but she does think Phaedra could handle it because she, because of everything she's dealt with. She's, it's like a compliment. She's like, I really didn't think you could be a traitor, but like you could handle it because of how strong you are. Sandra says it's hard for her to say anything because you set out to play the game, but you can't help but make friendships and it, it would kill her if Phaedra ends up being a traitor, but the signs are there. Phaedra, again, does not do the best job defending herself. She says, it's ludicrous. She says they have absolutely nothing concrete on her. She, I think she's just given up at this point. Sheree says she doesn't want to believe Phaedra's a traitor, but she doesn't know. At, she asks Phaedra if she has anything to give them and Phaedra says she's exhausted. She's like, it, it, "I'm, I'm exhausted. Kate, I think this is the moment that really like Kate is like done. Kate's frustrated. She says in her confessionals that she's gone to bat for Phaedra, and now she's not even fighting for herself to stay. Then the time for talking is over. The votes are as follows. Sheree votes for Phaedra. She says something really sweet about sharing the experience with her. Then Kate votes for Phaedra, calls her selfish, says she's more selfish than skillful in the game. MJ votes for Phaedra. Phaedra votes for CT because she's for girl power. Then (laughs) Sandra votes... For Phaedra, Trishel votes for Phaedra, CT votes for Phaedra, and Phaedra reveals she's a traitor. She does a little fake out where she's like, she calls herself a faithful traitor. It's kind of funny. They cheer about getting a traitor out. CT says he wants the faithful to win, he wants to get to the end game. So basically, he's saying he doesn't want to be murdered tonight. They know there's one traitor left, there has to be. Kate thinks Sandra is her chance to get somebody else voted out and save herself, and then the episode ends with Sandra going up to Kate and asking what the selfish comment was about. MJ's also in the room and Kate is like, she's just, she's been selfish. I I didn't like the way she was conducting herself. But Sandra's very suspicious about this. She says alarm bells went off and that's kind of where we leave the episode. And I think this season, this isn't an original thought. I think I saw Andy Herron tweet this maybe, but I think this season has been setting up a fit for like a faithful win, for like the faithfuls to win. And I think Sandra is going to be a big spearhead of that. I think her and MJ are really going to be the ones that suss Kate out. Maybe not MJ as much, but I don't know because why did they show MJ two episodes in a row like last episode she was like kate what's wrong and then this episode she was like what do you guys think about kate why would they leave that in because you have to remember there's a lot they don't show us so i feel like them leaving in this like hint of mj doubting kate and then sandra doubting kate i think and also mj got a lot of screen time this episode talking about how she doesn't want to go home empty-handed she got the shield she like really wants to win, she wants to make it to the end game. I think Sandra and MJ are going to be like the final stars of the season and the ones who suss Kate out. That's my prediction, but I've been talking for like a hot minute. It's late. I want to go to sleep. So that is where I will end for today. But if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to follow me wherever you listen to podcasts. I typically upload on Sundays occasionally mondays if i'm late but i'm really trying to get back to posting on sundays i feel good about this episode i think i can get it out by sunday but that is where i will leave you for today thank you so much for tuning in it means a lot and as always you can always reach out to me on any social media if you have any comments concerns feedbacks critiques all of that i love to hear from people when they're watching the podcast they're listening to the podcast it really it warms my heart when people are like emmy i'm listening to your podcast It's always friends of mine, but if you're not a friend of mine, that's okay, too. I do check my message requests on Instagram. So thank you so much, and um, I hope you have a great week, and you'll hear from me next week.